Mama says he can't remember Daddy thinks that he still can I'm going back to see him While he still knows Who I am This is Dodie Land. Conversations from the Madison Isthmus. Here is Gregory Humphrey. Well, hello there and welcome to another podcast from the Madison Isthmus. Outside, it is biting cold and the winds are making the wind chills feel downright frigid. Inside, it's warm. The topic today, however, is a little different, a little more somber, if you will, than what we sometimes talk about here on Dodie Land. Many families have been impacted with dementia, Alzheimer's, and related issues. And today's contemporaneous notes on my part are a perspective from what we encountered. Perhaps you have felt the same. Without doubt, we all can understand what Nancy Reagan meant when she said about Ronald Reagan's dementia and Alzheimer's that it is indeed the long goodbye. In today's podcast, I'm going to introduce you to some people that we have encountered in our life how they warmed us, enriched us, and how they can also leave a lesson about how we need to be more cognizant of Alzheimer's, dementia, and demand more research dollars to fight this disease. We'll get to all of that right after this. I'm still here, but yet I'm gone. I don't play guitar or sing my song. Never defined who I am The man that loved you till the end Every assisted living facility has a Rosina. The Rosina I know is 90 years of age. She walks with a cane and, to be honest, looks her age. She is tall and thin, but I strongly suspect as a young woman she was quite attractive. Over the past months, I have chatted with her about once a week and am able to make her laugh in my own rather quirky way. As I walked down the hallway of the facility this week, she opened her door and slowly came out. Hey, beautiful, I said. The smile starts and she turns and looks back into the room as she replies, Well, who else do you see in there? She is never short of a good response for anything I offer. And so our conversation starts as I walk slowly alongside her down the hallway. She never walks far, but she talks with every step. Her eyes are still expressive, and when she tells a bit of a fib or something that she thinks is slightly off-color, they twinkle. Her eyes let others know she is younger on the inside than her wrinkled face suggests. From the hallway of the facility, I know how agreeable the residents are to be chatted with. Some doors are closed, and some, while open, never provide a glimpse of the person who, now for one reason or another, calls this place home. One man sits in the same chair in his room every single day, looking out the same window onto the back road of the facility. I never fail to greet him, and during football season, ask how his favorite Dallas Cowboys are faring. He was watching his team the weekend when James and I moved our friend with Alzheimer's into this facility to live. For some reason, he seemed needing a hello, and that has never ended these many months later. 
During one of our chats, he told me how he now lived in, quote, a prison, unquote. I could not argue with him, but did ask what I might do to make things just a little bit easier. His simple request was to have another of the cookie packets that were kept in a drawer in the kitchen. After making sure he was not diabetic, I grabbed cookies from the stash in the kitchen and dropped them off, more than often not, when I would visit. You know, it is against the rules, he would tell me. Well, I just made a new rule, I kept telling him. What could possibly happen at his age if he consumed a couple extra cookies? It certainly cannot hamper his appetite any more than looking at the actual food they serve in the place. Truth is, most of the facilities of this type offer the same type of food when it comes to their clients, and the food also is one of the top complaints over and over again from people who live in these types of facilities. There is no way to truly describe the colorless, tasteless, and often odorless food that makes its way in front of each of these residents. Though James and I have made the squeaky wheel sound and at the edges created a difference, both for the man we are power of attorney for and the others who live in the facility, it is nowhere enough. We have had meetings with the management of the place and even got state agencies involved. In the end, everyone missed the obvious. Some old-fashioned cooking with real ingredients would do far more to boost the spirits of these folks than anything else. That fact you can take to the bank. Many months ago, a woman named Pat, who lived at the facility, told us they never had chocolate cake. Everyone sure would love some, she mentioned as she sat in her wheelchair. James decided he would whip up a cake and take it to her on our next visit. The night when it was baking, we finally decided it was indeed time to get an egg timer. The cake was baked. Burned would be the other way to describe it, and there was no way to take that one anywhere. Shortly thereafter, Pat was taken to hospice as her medical situation turned very serious. I felt really guilty about not getting that cake request completed and told James we had to still make one and take it to her. On a chilly Sunday afternoon in late winter, we met her grandson and friends at the hospice facility. She smiled over the cake, but I'm not sure she was ever able to enjoy any of it. Which leads me to where I'm heading. Life is too short not to make a difference for those around us. There are simple resources and ample resources and groups in every community that can make a difference to some elderly person who lives in these assisted living facilities. It might be the Boy Scouts planting some fresh flowers along the driveway or in containers for the outside. It might be three to four voices from the local church with a pitch pipe that show up after dinner for a few songs. Or it could be the local high school band getting a few kids with musical star power to play after school. It might be a person from the neighborhood with good vocal cords to read aloud a short story some afternoon. There is one thing I am sure of. I know that wherever one hears this or whatever activity it takes to get residents assembled in such a place, there will be a Rosina in the crowd, looking her age perhaps, but the twinkle in her eye will say it all. Thanks for making me smile today. Moving Olita was the hardest thing he'd done The nurses saw an old woman crying But he saw the love of his life She don't know where she is But she knows this isn't home Love is a hard, hard road
with the experience that James had over the years with dealing with people with Alzheimer's, he started his own guardianship business for people with dementia, Alzheimer's, and memory issues. And he strives to make those individuals experience life even though limitations are placed upon them with their physical disabilities, such as with one of his clients named Donald, an elderly man quite unwell and on hospice, And when asked what he missed most doing, he said, well, making snow angels. So James hired two assistants, and they dressed up Donald in warm clothes, and they went outside in what we might call the heat of the day, and they played in the snow for a while. Donald was delighted. And then James called the assistants and wanted to get the impression about how the day had fared. The assistant said because of Donald's physical infirmities, he was not able to lie flat in the snow to make the angel, so he was on his side and he moved his legs about. When they got him back into his wheelchair, Donald said, There, that angel is tired of your crap and he's walking away. They all laughed and Donald hasn't stopped talking about his big adventure for many a day. He was so happy to have had the chance to make his snow angels again. It is all about sparking little moments of joy, and that is what I'm trying to impart to my listeners today. Get involved with elderly people. Get involved with these residents' homes. Try to make a difference. There are plenty of opportunities. All you have to do is give it a try. She looks in my eyes and asks me my name, and every five minutes I tell her the same. She smiles, but it's cold and I'm screaming out loud in my head. Today, when we visited an assisted living facility where a friend resides, there was a difference as we walked down the long hallway. A door was shut to a room that always had been open. That is never a good sign. I walked back to one of the staff to find an answer. I have been around these folks long enough to consider myself somewhat one of the faces, and we all shared a bond in one way or another as we greet each other, swap stories, smiles, or one-liners that are designed to lift moods. The room with the shut door was a place a man that I talked about earlier in this program, who I offered cookies to each time I visited, had died. His name was Linus, and he passed away from dehydration at the facility. As he would probably say, he is no longer in prison. The CNA who told me the news got a response that I had not anticipated giving, nor one she probably expected to hear. I blurted out in anger, I hate this place. I was angry at how too many older people wind up at these facilities and the suddenness of the news about someone who, granted, was not family and only a passing acquaintance and yet mattered to me, had died. What I felt deeply was, I hate this place. I said it a couple of times to the CNA, I really do hate it. Not that the folks who work there are not caring, for the most part they are. Not that the residents do not need a place to allow them the care they need, as they all do. I hate the place because there is no exit except death. There is no pause from the relentless tick-tock of the clock that all there know is moving along. At the time, there was no way to disconnect those events in my Madison world from those relating to my family. My father was dying at the time. There were some in my family who would claim that I had no life experience, no background with which to offer opinions when it came to the elderly care for my father or a whole host of issues about family decisions. 
being single and without children seemed to be the litmus test that I could not pass and therefore had nothing to offer. To them, all I could say at the time was, bugger off. Not being able to affect positive changes for my dad's health for many reasons, I decided to make a difference in another way. James and I never looked back after we started the journey with our friend Albert and his fight with Alzheimer's. That there are so many others on a similar journey is so sad. The day we moved our friend away from one facility into another, I stopped into the room of an elderly lady. She was 89 years old, and I wanted to alert her to the move. Too often, faces just disappear from these homes, leaving some to wonder what happened. I did not want this lady to think death had claimed her friend. After informing her of the move, she expressed that his needs would be more tended to in a place other than the one where he had currently lived. But then she asked, poignantly, what about us? It hit me hard, and I really did not know how to respond. While we had advocated for our friend, all the residents were benefiting. When we forced the facility to follow the rules, all who lived there gained. There was no way to save the world, though I wish I could. In the end, all I could offer her was one of our friend's large bookcases for her many volumes that she still enjoyed. James and I moved it to her room, loaded it as she directed with books, and closed the door as we left. Catherine Davis, room 303, the sweetest soul we ever could meet. I bring her morning coffee every day. She calls me Raymond. She thinks I'm her son. Our friend took a ride in a vehicle today. That may not seem like news of any kind. It was likely to be his last ride out and about. That is the aching truth about his situation due to advanced Alzheimer's. After this trip, there will be less of an outside world to participate in, and instead more personalized care in a new home to match his growing medical needs. This man's agony over the past years has made me wonder how this all fits into the bigger puzzle that we call life. This type of question has abounded since the start of time, and the answers are as elusive as they ever have been. But it does not stop me from pondering why, and for what purpose does this all happen? I pondered this last ride all day, and no matter how I approached the matter, mentally the same medical realities hit back. Alzheimer's has robbed our friend of so many abilities that moving him about, as well as every other aspect of living, requires skilled nursing care. There is no more carefree banter or spontaneous laughter. The big stage light of a life is being narrowed bit by bit to a small glow. The man who has a Ph.D. can no longer write his own name. Shortly after breakfast, our friend journeyed from the Veterans Hospital to his new home at Badger Prairie Healthcare Center in Verona. I have driven that several times over the past days as James and I prepared for the move. The city traffic and combustion gives way slightly to the country setting as Madison is left behind. But just as soon I felt the country scenes could be enjoyed, the ramp comes into view that takes off to the facility. There is not much time to enjoy the trees and flowers, but then our friend has not been really enjoying them for some time. James and I were in court this week to secure guardianship of our friend. It was not the first time that James and I felt the weight of the responsibility for our friend. After all, we have done everything financially and legal as his representatives for years. 
If we had to do it all over again, we would sign up as it remains the right thing to do. There have been times that James and I have shed some tears over being the ones who had to literally see his authority to make decisions erode as the powers that he signed over to us years ago forced our hands to ensure his safety and well-being. While what we have done meets the praise of the court, social service agencies, Alzheimer's Association, and all the medical teams we have interacted with, there is just no way to describe the taking away of one's right to vote. I must admit there was some humor in the courtroom when it was stated that our friend was not allowed to have a gun. Since we're not big gun advocates, we had to snicker over that one. The journey that this disease, though, has forced our friend to take is also one that has altered our lives and sharpened our focus on how to fight for what is right. From having his apartment fitted for safe living years ago to finding alternate housing as the disease progressed, to fighting for better food and more activities in a facility, to then seeking more professional care as events warranted, there was always something out there to deal with. From sitting in a number of meetings that lasted up to two hours or more just to have contractual agreements fulfilled, to fighting for fresh vegetables and more fruit at mealtime, to making sure medications made it to the pharmacy, to be bubble-wrapped, we worked to make sure no issues were dropped or ignored. We become pains in the butt, so to speak, and friends to others that we never even knew the last name of. When things did not go according to how we knew they should for the safety and happiness of our friend, we went to the state agencies that governed the facilities. We were not afraid of making a scene to ensure the right thing was done, especially when word was given years back to do the very best when things got tough. We made him that promise. See you staring out your window Searching for your past A lifetime full of memories Slipping through your grasp You see those pictures on the mantle Tell the story of your life A glimpse into your history Of days long passed by When the photos start to so, how did we encounter Albert Truel to begin with, the man that we have talked about so much on this podcast? Albert was in my husband's college language course, and why he was there was truly a story to be heard. James came home one night and told me an older student wanted to learn Spanish for the most unique of reasons. Albert wanted to learn Spanish so that when he passed away, he could communicate in the native language of his mother, who is born in Cuba. Albert's mother's name, when translated, means pure sounds of the bell. One does not forget a story like that. Because Albert was unique in all the ways that makes someone truly special, he soon became a friend who was invited for lunches at our home, along with political nights of convention watching or ballot counting. There were long chats on our lawn, one truly grand afternoon of bowling, and wonderful meals at restaurants. With the inclusion of other friends of his who lived at the famed Kennedy Manor in Madison, James and I found ourselves laughing with a whole new group in Madison. Albert was a most diversified conversationalist who could hold forth on the environment and the need for a green economy, which was his favorite topic, or the reasons the nation needed universal health care. He had a Ph.D. in urban planning and worked 37 years at his architectural practice in Tallahassee, Florida. Albert was simply an amazing man given his scope of interest and his relaxed southern style of living life. I never saw him mad at the world, but only at times frustrated with his only lack of abilities. 
A couple of years after meeting Albert, things started to change as the disease that would become the last chapter of his life started to manifest itself more clearly. One day, Albert asked James for help in setting up easier ways to do some simple, everyday tasks. That morphed into arranging online payments for bills. In time, James and I were seeking ways to make sure he was safe where he lived, and when that was no longer an option, finding suitable housing for someone suffering with Alzheimer's. Along the way, we learned enough about the process of how to advocate for someone with Alzheimer's that we considered writing a book. The court awarded guardianship of Albert to James, and local Alzheimer's groups suggested we might think about helping by advising others facing the same issues. We had moments of drama when we tangled with those who we knew did not provide service for Albert as promised, but then we found angels who we praised as they understood that respect is something everyone deserves at all stages of life. Never, never did we take our eyes off the goal, and that was following through on the promise we made to Albert at our kitchen table that we would look out for him right through the end. We did such a good job that he even referred to James and myself as Albert's Mafia, and I must say, at times, a couple of staff members at a certain facility did seem a bit more attentive to Albert's needs when we used that term. And then, one day, at 5 p.m., Albert passed away after having a rather typical day at the Badger Prairie Health Care Center, a truly exceptional and caring place with amazing staff. There was no pain. It was very quick, and as strange as it may sound, given all that has happened, rather unexpected. It looked as if he just fell into a calm sleep. There was something sad and yet comforting in the final image that I have of Albert. James and I spent some time with Albert alone in his room before the funeral home arrived. After he was placed on a stretcher under a blue quilt that resembled a homemade creation that Grandma might have made, he was wheeled out the side door behind the building. I followed a few steps to the door that was held open by a staff member. The night had fallen heavy, and the funeral home worker pushed Albert into the darkness. I could only make out the sidewalk for a short distance in the dark and did not see the hearse, but then I looked up, and the hazy full moon shined back. The thought that came to my mind was that somewhere a son is chatting with his mom in pretty good Spanish that evening. The body that had become a prison for Albert had released the soul. I stepped back from the door, and it shut. I turned to James, and we hugged. We had kept our promise made to a very special friend. Thank you.